0: I live to dance. <laughs> Wild Times.
1: Woo! Here we are. It is episode number 87 of the Wild Times, the greatest podcast in the world. It's a very special podcast because joining us tonight is myself, the broologist, the host, the guy who's usually here. Retep, the man behind the scenes, the producer, PhD in podcasting. He is the glue that holds this thing all together. No questions there. If you're a regular Brosner, you actually know that. I'm not trying to do whatever he's doing on video right now. What I am trying to do is say that without him, the podcast wouldn't exist because he harasses us relentlessly to be here. That being said, our regular third party, Papa oh. P himself, the producer, has the Rona. He will not be joining us tonight. True story, Brosner, send him your love, send him your prayers, any of that good stuff. Send him some Christmas cheer because he is quite miserable. So send instead, him some oxygen, yeah. Yeah. Instead, yeah. we have the upgrade. The better brother. The professional himself. Mr. BTG, longtime friend of the pod. What's up, BTG? My <laughs> Gentlemen, it's a it's, it's
0: a pleasure to be here. I am uh, look. I, I, I like the fact you've identified that Retef is criminally liable for this podcast. Yes. As being <laughs> yep. The source, the singularity that makes it. We happen. have
1: a contract now, sir. Yep. Yeah. It means uh, anything that he, anything that I say, Retep can be blamed for. So when I yes. start, you know, <laughs> saying all these slurs and and these awful, I, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know what bad things are. When I start saying bad non PC things, it's Retep's fault. That's the point.
2: Yeah, man, no, it's OK. He, he, Got you on camera. I have he, I have hundreds <laughs> of hours of you all on the edit cutting room floor, man. gonna hey, so Make a nice montage for this.
1: Sure <laughs> Blackmail at its finest. I love it. Bradley, what are you up to this Christmas? What's going on with you?
2: Well, look, first things first, kick
0: off the right start. I'm going to do the first ever Wild Times unboxing Ooh. this. Bottle of scotch. Uh, I say scotch. Uh, it's a lie. I normally drink scotch. This is something different. It's a rye whiskey, Ooh, and nice. I only I only got it because of the story behind it. It's Tell Templeton. Us. It's Templeton rye, which, as you'll recall, back like during prohibition, was like like oh, the nice. top. It's got a very sweet bouquet. <laughs> it's like, like kind of like uh, sort of a honey orchids. A little
1: bit of Ooh. bat semen. Bat semen, mm-hmm. oh, that's the missing flavor. I always miss out on in well, my fruit good whiskeys. Fruit
0: bat, fruit, bat, fruit bat, having been inseminated in the face twice <laughs> by a giant fruit bat. <laughs> I, can tell, I can tell you there is a fruitiness to it.
2: Got a little background music for you.
1: How is it? Tell us about it. Tell us what you're it's, getting.
0: You know what? It's not bad. It's kind of light on the way in. Okay. And then, <laughs> And then it kind of hits you. If, I gotta tell you, there's a little bit of cough syrup in there. It's not ideal, <laughs> but there's a, there's a secondary warmth to it, and just a little bit of a growl. I'm not gonna say like a Wolverine growl, more like a more like a hamster growl. But it's nice. It's a nice yeah. warm finish. I tell you, Ooh. that is easy drinking. So this was, uh, according to legend, the most popular high-end rye whiskey during Prohibition. Huh. Run by really? Rattep's friends from Chicago,
2: Al Capone, yeah. <laughs> and my and best buddy.
0: The interesting part of the story is the connection to wildlife. Is that his number one bar? I think it's called the Stockyard, which has been reinvented. Still exists, the Tavern Room in in Chicago. You can go enjoy a great steak there. That's cool. But, uh, and Chicago is one of my favorite cities. Uh, Mine too. Yeah, Love great. Chicago. Uh,
1: in the summer, in the winter, it is god-awful.
0: There's about 10 days of perfection. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it's just a great sweltering armpit, and then, mm-hmm. it's, then it's the Arctic. Yep. Um, exactly. So Anyway, but the point was the connection to wildlife is this. Uh, when the original Stockyard bar was torn down, because of its historical significance, many pieces were bought up by collectors. Now the current version of the Stockyard and Tavern Room bought the old, actual physical bar, so You can go there and enjoy a drink there. Um, but one of the most exclusive and successful wildlife conservation breeding programs on Earth is the White Oak Conservation Center on the border of Florida and Georgia, in on <laughs> Yulee. In Yulee. So, I've been there many times. I was a resident, uh, writer, and resident there. They bought the original Tiffany glass window from Al Capone's bar, and you can now go to the bar at White Oak, and you can only be invited. You can't just walk in there. Can you invite us? No, Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I can't. I seriously, if you guys want to go, and you're over in Florida, once the producer recovers, I will get you in. But you can look up, and there is this enormous oval Tiffany glass window. Uh, in the roof. It's incredible. So that's, that's so the connection. Cool. That's nice. why I got it.
1: Can you uh, show us the bottle? So mm. the brosners that are watching, because a lot of people, if you're listening to this, we do this on YouTube, Templeton rye, the good stuff. The good stuff. I mean, it's hard to argue with a label that says it is literally the good stuff. <laughs> now it's, um, it's,
0: a, it's, it's a four-year-old rye. I got to tell you, it's very easy drinking. Nice. Uh, so you're gonna enjoy it. The ladies will enjoy it. What I will tell you in this is this is the other part of the story that I love. Oh, there's it's more. It's a complete fraud because <laughs> it's meant to be this small batch rye whiskey from <laughs> Templeton, Iowa, hence the name. Okay. But it's actually brewed in their main uh, in their main distillery in Indiana. It was part of a class action, but it's still delicious. They've taken off some references on the label. I like it. And for 30, 40 bucks a bottle, it's great value. Cheers. That's,
1: that's the thing. So I've done a couple like live whiskey tastings with Uproxx. I, I got a great relationship with the, the Uprox magazine, and they're super fun people. We do oyster eatings and whiskey tasting. I know nothing, by the way. I'm not pretending to be a sure. connoisseur at all. I know literally nothing. And the difference to me between a 30 or $40 bottle of whiskey and a three or $400 bottle of whiskey is I, I can't tell the difference. I mean, I'm like, this is good, a little bit burny, kind of some nice oak taste. And then I taste the $300 bottle. I'm like, this is good, a little bit burny, some nice, like, oak taste. And I, I just don't, like. It, I, it's,
2: I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, uh, I mean, once you get up into that $30, 50 range of whiskeys or scotches, it all, to me, becomes about the smoothness, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's when mm-hmm. it's smooth. It, you, it's, it, it goes very up to, like, very smooth between, like, a $20 and a $50. And then it's just, like, incremental. And then, yeah. I mean, it's like tasting wine. You know, you, you can't tell. If you gave me a blind wine taste test, I couldn't tell the difference between a $10 bottle and a $100 bottle. It's just that alcohol weird, like, taste. When you get that weird, gross, like, kind of rubbing alcohol taste. Right. Do you get the spiciness or not? Um I- but well, that's cool. Uh, I, think, I,
1: I I am going hard in the other direction because I've just spent are a going week. Hard. I
2: bet you. Are. Uh, yeah, You're I'm drinking fun. water
1: out of a hydro flask like an adult because I have oh, just wow. spent a week drinking so much. Um, I we did our annual foraging trip. I just literally just got back this morning. Um, oh yeah, you've been posting you about it on social
0: media. I mean, yeah, you you guys should be arrested for crimes against mushrooms. I just, uh,
1: you, we should. yeah, we, we committed you, you mushroom
0: pillaged, genocide. Pillage like <laughs> Vikings. Uh, I, I, I can't believe that you got so many mushrooms out of one forest. That is now a mushroomless void. <laughs>
1: uh, and if you realize the so there's a couple things that are kind of interesting. One is this is a, a once in a once in a decade mushroom year up here in Northern California is absolutely I mean you if you were in the right habitat and you do have to know the habitat, you would look up like an embankment, and the floor is just carpeted in mushrooms. Those little yellow ones, the hedgehog mushrooms, it's like these little golden puffs of life just out of this brown duff. It's absolutely incredible. And then we'd hike through these ravines and find these these bouquets of these black trumpets that were outrageous. And black trumpets are probably my favorite eating mushroom. Um, in three days, with families and kids and everything else, we did like 150 pounds of mushrooms. Um, wow, at, and what's crazy is we covered, like, less than three square miles. Like, it just went on and on and on and on. And we were just in, like, this pocket where it was just – the fruiting was so good, we were very rarely off of our, like, hands and knees
2: picking. And, let me um, ask you something. D- does yeah. it Does it take away from the enjoyment of the mushroom hunt because it was so easy to get so much, or does it make it that much better because you get such a big haul? Be- because it's a once in a
1: decade fruiting you you just suck <laughs> it all in you're just like this is so good because I know I'll now go yeah. another 10ish years where yeah. I'll do I'll be stoked if I get like one basket or two baskets of mushrooms Wow um, you that know much and of so difference you, oh huge yeah this is the first year since 2016, that I've been up here and even seen a black trumpet or seen a hedgehog wow. mushroom.
0: And what are the most, I, I look, two things that come to mind. First, uh, first is an observation that your behavior is exactly what we would describe in carnivores as surplus killing. Yep. Um, <laughs> House syndrome, baby. Henhouse syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I, I just want to ask you uh, you've identified your favorite wild mushroom, but what is the most valuable mushroom that you found? Because, I mean, did you, did you get chanterelles up there as well?
1: Yeah, we found, I probably found, so the golden chants are, they're really early, but I still probably found about 10 pounds of them in total. Um, yeah, which, I mean, I can show you guys. I can go what grab is, some what baskets of them what there What is the street,
0: value, the street value of those golden chanterelles?
1: The golden chants are probably going for about 25 bucks a pound right now. Um, but the black trumpets, the ones you see in our baskets there that we're tilting up, which are the, the really valuable ones, those are around $40 a pound right now. And we did about 110 pounds at black trumpets. That,
0: that's, the, that's the lobster of mushrooms then.
1: It, at the moment, for sure. And there are times, you know... It's supply and demand. So when they're fruiting like this, the the cost is about to drop off because other all the other pickers, the commercial pickers are about to figure this out and they're about, because this is legal, by the way, obviously, or I wouldn't be boasting about it, <laughs> but um, people go out and they commercially pick these mushrooms and they sell them to restaurants. But we're on the very cusp of the season, or rather the very beginning of the season, and um, so the price is still really high. Ten days from now, two weeks from now, people are going to be going out getting baskets like that. All day long. It's going to fruit like crazy and the price is going to drop. But my buddy, the guy second from the right uh, in the blue hat, he just sold all of his black trumpets at thirty six ninety nine a pound in San Francisco today. Wow. Um, so that's you know, we don't do it for com- I don't do it for commercial value. I do it to dehydrate and pickle and everything else. And I save them all year and eat them because I love them. But uh, yeah, my comm- two of those guys are commercial, and they'll they'll get they'll fetch really nice prices for them at the moment. So if you're a mushroom smuggler, now is the time because otherwise you'll be shoving a pound of
0: chanterelles up your ass for no reason if you wait like two weeks. <laughs> exactly, and fortunately, you
1: good. don't even have to smuggle them. Um, yeah, I could get into but that. yeah, That's no, probably it's probably a
2: fetish somewhere. It's
1: been it's been, an, I mean, I came up here about a month ago and did porcini and and managed to hit that right. We got huge poles of black trumpets, hedgehogs, I got some good chanterelles, and I think chanterelles are gonna get really good down where I live in Santa Barbara soon. Uh, it's been a very
2: fungal year indeed. Forrest, so uh, I'm a fungal year. <laughs> can I can where's my invite? I wanna come I wanna learn about mushroom hunting. Well, just so you know, I'm
1: I'm currently 11 hours north of my home, which would be 13 no, hours no, north no, of your you,
2: home. But you just said in Santa Barbara there's going to be good season for yes. a certain type if of If you want to
1: come up, either of you I'll guys— I'll wear a and, blindfold. I know how serious no, I don't you care are about, about that. the location. Not, no, 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 no. I don't care about that. <laughs> what I care about is like being like, hey, do you want to drive 13 hours to pick mushrooms? To which most people would say no, not if your life depended hey, listen, on it. Here, that said, I kind of Santa do. Barbara's going to get good soon. Come up. I come can't. up to Santa Barbara. We're going to get— I have a buddy who owns a big chunk uh, of, well, he works for a ranch. He doesn't own it. And it's a huge private property area on the foothills of Santa Barbara. And two years ago, the last time we had similar weather conditions to this, we did 35 pounds of chanterelles in a day, him and I. And wow. uh, so I think the golden chance and the golden chance we get in Santa Barbara are huge. The bouquets are like the size of, wow. you know, they're like the diameter of a basketball. So yeah, if you guys want to come pick mushrooms, it's like adult Easter egg hunting. It's super fun. I love you know it. What I, I, and, and, yeah. I just,
0: I was going to ask a quick question. The, the, the reason for this super bloom of mushrooms, so to speak, is it because, <laughs> uh, is it because we had these unusually dry conditions and then a tiny bit of water and they just kind of
1: panicked and, and sporulated pretty much? Yeah. So it, it, it always depends on a couple different factors. Rain is the most critical. But if you get rain and then you get a freeze, that basically, it's just like fruit. It freezes and kills it all. So if yeah. you get rain and then it stays warm enough but wet enough, that induces growth. And so what happened up here in Northern it's California like is in October, there was like a four-inch dumping, which was crazy. And it, it, because it was four inches so rapidly, it just saturated the ground. And then it was ne- it was always warm, but it was never hot, and it was never windy, and it never froze. So you had this oh. perfect—it was never hot enough to dry it out, and it never froze enough to kill the, the mycelium for the mushrooms growing. And so you just had this fruiting that continued and continued, and then right now it's dumping outside. I mean, you can't tell, but it's dumping where I am yep. right now, and it has Here been too, for a while. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And so it's just—it's like mushrooms act like sponges. They're just soaking it up and just growing out of control— And you know, a couple freezes will slow them down, but at this point, so much like they're mature enough that they're gonna just keep replicating as long as we have moisture.
0: I don't you know, know B- how much BTG, how much mushroom real, real content real. is is too much, but I'm gonna say that uh, <laughs> uh, I'm excited about all things uh, fungi because I watched that <laughs> that documentary with Paul Stamets. You know, Fantastic Fungi. You can watch it on. I've
1: on heard Netflix. about it. It's Netflix, right? I haven't seen it yet. I like Paul. It, I like everything he does. So I, I do want to watch it.
0: It's really a, it's like three documentaries in one. One part uh-huh. of it's a little bit fruity, but the other parts are like just wow, this is amazing. The potential of fungi is a pesticide that I talk about uh, using fungi to destroy plastics, but that's a real thing that's happening now in in a very exciting way. And I was giving, I think I mentioned to you last time I was on and two interesting things happened. One, I, Mr. Indestructible, said that the one thing that creeps me out are baboons, the white trash of primates. And you yeah. said, I love baboons. I used to spoon with them as a baby. And I'm like, what? It's like I said, yeah, the one thing I'll never do is rim out a lion. You go, oh, I was, when I was a kid, I was always giving rim jobs to lions. Um, <laughs> what? But after that, I went on to give that lecture in Kyoto about uh, breeding uh-huh. landmines from Cambodia. And uh-huh. uh, I served back in the day anyway. One of the things I brought up is the possibility that because there's like thirty, there's literally thirty thousand distinct species of mushroom just in Cambodia alone, which isn't a huge surprise because it's a tropical area and gets a monsoon, so it's warm and moist. It's it's mushroom heaven. But um, I said it's possible down the road that genetically trained fungal species may end up being able to be used to help detect and consume explosives in the ground. Really?
1: Um, you know, how yeah. would that work? How I, yeah. did, did they explain that at all? That's really well, interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. it's. It, they didn't address it directly, and I, I, I actually, you know, basically sent out a, a, a friendly challenge to Paul Stamets and his esteemed colleagues to, to work yep. it out because they're already genetically altering some fungus to become effective pesticides, and they discussed this in the documentary Fantastic Fungi, which, as I said, you can watch on Netflix anywhere you want. Also, home of Adventure Beast. Might want to check that out. Just quietly, um, <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> but he's already got a number of patents. On, uh, Paul Stamets has these patents on modified fungus that uh, tricks various pestiferous insects, specifically certain types of, of ants and especially termites that come Ooh. into, and now they're working with bed bugs that come into your oh. home. And, bas- and, and so basically it delays their perception Daddy. of hey, the spores Daddy. so by the time they realize that they're already dying, hey, Finally, Rose
2: just came walking in. Say hi. Say hi. Look at you, buddy. Hi. hi.
1: You're not supposed to be here. (laughs) Dad's supposed to be working. Go with mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye -bye. Later, buddy. Later. Sorry, guys. Sorry, bro you never, apo- uh,
0: I never, I never apologize for your offspring. Never.
1: <laughs> uh, you not didn't until see him clubbing
2: teenagers. You,
1: well, you didn't see him clubbing his little friend over the head at Friendsgiving with a with a mushroom oh, brush no. the other day. So I had to apologize well, for was him. The then. Friend then but, no,
2: was the friend an asshole? No, she's a sweetheart.
1: She's like the cutest little girl ever. And Rhodes is just like bash, bash, bash. She thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, sorry, so, I didn't so mean it.
0: So, so, to answer a question, how it would work is that the way mushrooms are connected with a whole forest is through the equivalent of their roots, which is called mycelium, right? And mycelium Mm. is one of the most dense natural things in the world. By every every few square feet, you've got something like 300 miles of mycelium beneath your feet. And in almost every part of the world, except for pure desert and pure ice and snow. So the mycelium not only connect the mushrooms to the other in, in this living network, they actually connect the entire ecosystem and all the plants. So if if you're a fan of of Avatar um, and you wanted to know how a mammal somehow reproduced by connecting tails, I don't understand how that works. But if you liked (laughs) Avatar and there was that the tree of souls or whatever it is thing that was the mother tree, the home tree, that thing... That, that principle is based upon mushrooms and their mycelium because plants can actually trade nutrients and information yep. via the mushrooms' mycelium. So it makes sense that we already have plants like tobacco plants, other plants that we can use to detect landmines in fields, and when they detect the explosive um, materials, the leaves turn red over a period of days. Now, it's theoretically possible that genetically trained mycelia, uh, fungus can have this mycelium that hmm. could respond with fruiting bodies to landmines under the earth, and could also be trained to literally just consume the explosive itself, rendering them inert. So wow. when you consider how wow. difficult the demining process is, particularly in, in, a, in a rainforest or a tropical area, it's so difficult because the land shifts every monsoon. This could be a way to use the natural ecosystem, with some tweaking—not going lie, to lie—to actually help us do something that physically is proving almost impossible.
1: That is fat, That is totally fascinating. I, we've talked really about is. sort of mushroom mycelium networks on the pod before, and how they act like basically the like the neurons in a giant brain, right? right. Like these mycelium yeah. are like the, a brain around the globe or around the ecosystem, and the mycelium are the neurological pathways that signals travel through. What so there's a couple things. One, and I don't want Paul this to get back to Paul Stamets and be like, fuck that guy, because I think he's great, by the way. But yeah, uh, from, from the stuff that I've listened to and seen, he sort of has like a mushroom answer for everything. And I'll, I'll be honest, I am nowhere near intelligent enough to understand whether or not fungus can are, cure we, everything. We, 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 but but he well does believe it can. He Paul totally believes, in my opinion, and maybe you have a different uh, understanding from no, watching his stuff. No, BTG. no, no. I, that, that's why yeah. I said
0: to you, this, this this documentary, everyone should watch it if you're interested in natural processes and natural flora and fauna. But as I said, it's three different, it's really three different documentaries in one. It's the part about the science of mushrooms that I just found mind-blowing, the potential. And then there was the kind of fruity parts uh, of of. Of, of evolutionary history and giving them credit for everything. And then finally the cure-all for everything. Now I do, believe, I do believe that there's enormous potential not just in mushrooms but in all manner of plant and animal species and all manner of weird natural secretions to create medicines of value. I do. But yeah, he, he is a true believer. But where I get excited is, as I said, and it only gets like five minutes of mention, right. is patents. For, for natural mushroom pesticides, I'm like, holy shit, this is mind-blowing, the applications. And as I said, it wasn't mentioned here, but the consumption of plastic, there are now guys mm-hmm. doing this commercially, that gets me really excited because we got a big plastic problem.
1: Oh now, yeah. Now, I think, look, on a day-to-day basis, I'm not typically worried about landmines, and that's because I live in California and where I travel to. Even though I've been in Mozambique a lot, and I've seen a lot of blown-off arms and limbs, and in Cambodia, actually... Um, uh, it's not something that worries me on a day to day. Maybe that makes me insensitive. Plastic pollution worries me on a day to day. It does yeah. every single day. And the idea that we could train certain fungal bodies to eat plastic—now that's exciting. Like uh, uh, I don't know how that works though. But well, Can this, is they break it down? this is already happening. This is
0: already happening. They've noticed in high concentrations of plastic landfill that mm-hmm. microorganisms are now evolving to eat plastic. Anyway, so a little oh, bit. interesting. So, so it's, it's, it's a selective breeding process once again. Sure. Someone a- had an enzyme that started breaking it down. These are sure. novel enzymes. Sure. These are enzymes that didn't exist until fairly recently, and they are proving successful. So we're going to end up possibly with a situation whereby pollution is going to be certain types of, 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 of waste pollution, particularly plastic products, are going to prove useful to certain organisms who will then outcompete existing organisms that we also need. And then there'll be a boom-bust cycle. Uh, and we saw this similarly in a Numbat uh, habitat restoration project in, in South Australia. For those that don't know, a Numbat is a marsupial ant. Eat a very long tongue. It's a cute kind of rust adorable color with, creature with sort of tan stripes. Um, and, you,
1: yeah, and by the way, can I can I interrupt you for one second? No, please. For anybody listening, BTG's show on Netflix, Adventure Beast, has one of the funniest—well, Undeniably, and I don't care who fights me on this, it's the funniest numbat humor you will ever see because nobody else has ever attempted to make a numbat joke in history. But secondly, the, the animation, and and maybe, I'll, I don't know if BTG wants to go into it exactly what happens or not, but the animation of what happens and the, the nuzzling numbats is phenomenal. So I just wanted to hype that up for a second because if you haven't seen it, it is a treat. Well, I
0: I, I can. You definitely got to watch Adventure Beast. It's (laughs) available worldwide on Netflix. There's no excuse for not watching it, really. If you don't have an account, get your mom's account. Um, if your mom has succumbed to COVID, then she can't stop you from using her account. Um, That's true. Yeah, good want, point.
2: Uh, give your parents COVID. Give your DM parents COVID. That's the takeaway. I'll away. give you Forrest's uh, password. For there there <laughs> you go. But the, the, well, I, t- I will tell you one true
0: story behind <laughs> the Numbat thing, other than my love of, of Numbats. And to finish my previous point, there was a habitat rewilding uh, you know, restoration project in South mm-hmm. Australia. And Numbats now, these days, are only really found in South Australia and Western Australia. Um, and they wanted to clear up this garbage dump that was in the middle of this uh, this habitat zone, and they cleared it up, and numbat numbers dropped because they were actually living in the dump. And remember, mm-hmm. they're eating termites and ants that also congregated in the dump. So it was one of those interesting problems, and we might have that uh, down the road with plastic-eating enzymes, insects, fungus that might outcompete other species that we need, and then when we solve aspects of the plastic problem in certain regions, there'll be a little mini collapse, but that's a long-term problem. Now, the numbat joke that I love that's based on a true story, there's a moment in the show where you see the numbat lowering his testicles via his <laughs> elastic peduncle, which is this little connection between the scrotum and the body.
1: There's like now, four words in that sentence that Peter didn't understand, by the way, <laughs> testicles <laughs> being the first one, but please continue. <laughs> so, so,
0: so marsupials... Uh, it's interesting, um, particularly arid uh, country marsupials, because of course some marsupials are aquatic and their testes of course are internal, they don't hang out in the water. But uh, marsupials, what they do is in the same way we have a scrotum that contracts to stay warm and relaxes to, to stay cool so that, you, so that your junk is kept at optimum breeding temperature. With marsupials who are dragging their nuts over barbed, uh, arid country thorns all the time and so forth. It's very tough skin. It doesn't have any elastic quality at all, but instead they have a thing called the peduncle, this piece of, of muscularized skin that attaches it to the body. And if they get hot, they relax it down like a yo-yo. And if they get cold, they pull it back up And they can, and they can control it as they want. So what happened was many, many years ago, I was doing a, an event, a media event at Taronga Zoo in Australia where I'm the mm-hmm. governor and I was doing mm-hmm. this media event about Tasmanian devils, which of course I'm from Tasmania and I care very deeply about uh, their recovery following uh, devil, ta- devil facial tumor disease, which we discussed on the mm-hmm. show previously. Yep. A- and while we're talking about how important this critical work is, behind us in the exhibit is this big male Tasmanian devil and for reasons known only to him, he did the ultimate photobomb. He just yo-yoed his nutsack with his peduncle for the entire media, comp- like 20 minutes, 20 minutes, lowering his peduncle, tapping his nuts on the ground, bringing him up, hitting the belly, tapping on the ground the entire time. And I... I was biting my cheeks on the inside, bleeding into my own mouth and throat <laughs> to just not stop laughing out loud. So, And, and everyone was trying to be respectful. But it was the f- one of the funniest media moments of my life. Fantastic. And that moment makes it into the show with a numbat so everyone will go away knowing what a peduncle is.
2: Yep. You know, Love there it. Are cert- there are certain animals that, that I feel like are just kind of uh, grumpy assholes, you know? Like you're... Like, you yeah. know, You're at a zoo. There was that one video we posted at a zoo where, uh, like, a monkey or something, I can't remember, but he basically, like, some guy was just like, hey, let me get a picture. Literally just slowly takes his shit and throws it at the guy. (laughs) It's like, it's legit an intelligent... Just like grumpy old man yells at clouds type of situation. He's like, "I'm yeah. sick of these fucking people. Leave me the fuck alone." And it's just hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Hey, so well, well, that's, you,
0: you got to have an outlet. You got to have an outlet for these intelligent yeah. animals. And and the best conservation zoos in the world. Have extraordinary behavioral enrichment. Yep. One of the funniest ones is it in New York Forest. Do You remember the one with the, the where the chimps get depressed. This water spray from their exhibit to squirt the people staring at them. Do you remember that one? No,
1: I don't. But please, oh, yeah, please that. explain so it. I, I, I love the I, sound I, of that, though.
0: My yeah. uh, apart from my apart from my many head injuries and and bottles <laughs> of scotch, um, I just visited you know hundreds, if not in the low thousands, of facilities around the world. So I get a bit of a blur, but I remember visiting one. And I feel like it was New York. I feel like it was Bronx, but it could have been, it could have been Brookfield in Chicago, Mm -hmm. I don't remember. But anyway, the, the chimps have these buttons they can press, and they'll squirt water onto the people behind the glass staring at them. Love and, that. And there was another one I think it was a blast of air and a noise. Love that. And it, it gave them something to do to stimulate action in somebody else and it was proved to be a great success. Wow. But of course then you get some malicious chimp and you know my views on chimps. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and,
0: and they're just doing it doing it constantly. But it's 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 a great idea and I've been involved in many different programs, not just for higher order mammals like primates, but also bears and things like that, where we develop these quite complex activities for them to keep them stimulated. And quite frankly, for all of us during the pandemic, that's us, we need to think. we
1: need that bee, yeah, totally.
0: What do do we need to stay sane and not go mental? Because there's a lot of people who are not using technology enough, like we're doing here, to keep their
2: brain and their emotions on a happy level. So I'm very, oh, oh, sorry, Peter, go ahead. Just real quick, sometimes I think about like my dog at the house and when I'm either when we're both working or not there for 5-6 hours and the dog's just sitting around and I just want your uh, professional scientific opinions on this cuz I feel bad about it regularly. I'm just like is the dog bored as shit cuz I couldn't imagine yep. just sitting around all day. It's like so what do you do? How do you stimulate the dog, other than taking him for a couple walks a day, like a good what amount kind of of time to, What kind of dog is it? What kind of dog is it, retap He's a real piece of shit. He's a he's a <laughs> Chihuahua and a terrier. He's eleven and he's he But the oh, Terrier should
1: tell you everything you need to know there, BTG. Well, uh, I mean that's
0: Wow, that's fascinating because the terrier is very rare to get a slack and idle fat bastard terrier. Right. I exactly. mean, they are just highly motivated. Foraging, hunting type, aggressive, high he energy is. animals. But Chihuahua I, mean, so, I mean, so wildly inbred. Right. Um, yeah. They're made as, for idleness.
2: They are made he's I much more terrier. <sighs> yeah. But but he's how old is he? He's eleven. I'll well, say 11 this now.
1: I don't I don't and interrupt. He interrupt acts like about it year so, I'll say
2: go 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 go. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'll say this. So it, it so depends, right? And, and this is I, I preach this to like every one of my friends. Don't buy a dog based on fucking looks. Don't do it. And if you're listening to this podcast, do not buy, it. don't go out there and be like, "Hey, I live in a sweet one-bedroom studio. I need a fucking in like Arizona. I need a husky." No you fucking don't. Okay? Because you like huskies a mate. Yeah, no, wrong. Wrong. And I've said this so many times. I think dog ownership is wonderful. I love my dog, and I make sure that he's never bored for more than a few hours. He's always got somebody to walk him or I take him on a walk, he climbs mountains, everything. I am not cut out to have my favorite breed of dog anymore, which is a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Because when we had Rhodesian Ridgebacks, I was living on a giant farm, and the Ridgebacks ran around all day long. You know, get a dog that suits your lifestyle. Nothing to do with looks. If you live on a ranch, get a working dog. If you live on a farm, get a working dog. If you live in an apartment, get something that has been bred for companionship that wants to lie around and sleep 15 hours a day. And so I'll let BTG weigh in as well, but... Are dogs bored? Absolutely. If you get the wrong kind of dog, a working dog, a hunting dog, and he's stuck inside for 12 hours a day... (laughs) That dog is going to be miserable, and that's when you get neurotic dogs that are tearing up your furniture and destroying your throw pillows and pissing inside and all that stuff because they don't have an outlet. They don't have anything to do, and you come home from your 9 to 5, and you're like, I'm tired. I don't feel like walking the dog today, and all your dog wants is to get outside and run and work and do what they've been bred to do because keep in mind all dogs have been bred for a purpose, and they want to do what they're bred to do, what they're genetically predisposed to do. And then you're like, oh, you know, Fluffy the Husky doesn't want – I don't want to take him outside of my one-bedroom apartment in 110-degree heat in downtown, you know, <laughs> Phoenix. And it's like right. – it's it's wrong. Don't do it. Just get a dog that's right for your lifestyle. That's <laughs> so very
0: I always right. say we can – you know, again, we got a lot of mushroom content on this episode <laughs> and now we're we we launching more into proselytizing about – about dogs, but you say that. You first of all read my book, "Why Dogs Are Better Than Cats." That'll oh, answer a lot of your you questions go. about about that. Secondly, I, I, as 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 Forrest has pointed out, you know we we often choose if you're smart, and you choose a dog that suits your personality. One can only assume. Um, you know, that Retep's dog uh, likes to guzzle loud and watch porn, right? And it's it, so and, and so he's happy, no, you know, want. Because him. I
2: didn't pick a dog that suited my personality, <laughs> I was gift, I was bestowed this dog from the mean streets of LA. So, so, so I
0: would say to you is that the problem is there are different types of behavioral enrichment, but some small dogs and was at the top of this list suffer from stress. And easily, easily stressed out. So, you don't yes. want it to do anything too dramatic to change their environment, or it might really upset them. But one of the simple things you can do is put them on a little bit of a diet and then hide food around the house and uh, mm. in, in like little plates and so forth. And now he's hungry and motivated and he can start using his little doggy senses and he's half Terry, he should be able to find anything. Yes. And he'll start r- running around the house looking for food, looking for treats. And that might be a way to awaken his, his creativity and problem solving. I love that. And also give him a little bit of, of stimulating exercise. Don't ramp it up with new toys and loud things unless he loves that because certain animals start getting stressed very quickly. You'll see them pull out their fur and scratching their ears. So yep. start gently, a little bit of a diet. We do this with animals on, on late night shows. All I do is in the morning, we, get them, we feed them a half feed and then I bring their favorite stuff, whatever it is, to yeah. feed on the show. And then they don't pay attention to the lights and the people in the audience. So that time that I got my nipple torn off by a, a, a reindeer, oh. that I was giving him graham crackers, and then I think I told you this before, and then I I took him away just for a second, and he reached forward, and I made the stupid mistake of putting my hand on his head and going, "Hey, settle down, big guy." And this is in November, December, right? When right. So he's holding ready to go yeah. take
2: Santa around the globe. It's, it's fuck, fight and
0: feed, the That's three it. F's the in three that F's. order. And so he just, he, just, he just, you know, 450 pounds of, of bull reindeer just drilled me. Um, but the point was <laughs> that, that tactic of offering them treats in addition yeah. to reduced diet will help give them more active behaviors without putting them under stress. Love I like that, that. yeah. That's that's
2: good advice. So, I'm gonna legit start that today with his.
1: No, that's great. That's great. I, BTG just gave everybody listening a very good bit of behavioral enrichment for your dog at home. If you're out working and your dog doesn't have stuff to do. So listen, it's near the end of the year. Yep. Every single year, Nat Geo puts out a a most interesting animals discovery article. Okay. We're we're coming up on Christmas here. So this year, for, so this episode for in the news. BTG, you sent it to me. I thought after Peter plays the jingle, we'll dissect. Yeah. What's in the news? Here it goes. <laughs> the best of Nat Geo <laughs> sure. from the Underground.
0: What's <laughs> <Listen laughs> in nice. the news? BTG,
1: you are our lead on this. Tell us about the twelve most intriguing animal discoveries of 2021.
0: All right. So I want to preface this by saying that if you listen to the Wild Times podcast, you know most of this before <laughs> exactly, it's even been announced. Yeah. So I, I'm calling foul. I love mm. Nugent. We love me some golden rectangle. Everyone knows yep, that. Of course. Uh, we all love it. So anyway, so here are the 12, top 12 animal discoveries of 2021. The first that they've put up there is the virgin birth in a California condor. Um, it's been discussed on the show. We're talking about parthenogenesis, when a female animal is able to produce a clone or a half clone of themselves. There was a time when we thought this was just lizards, particularly the uh, whiptail lizards of uh, of uh, Nevada yeah. and, and California, and then. And then we kept looking, and we started finding it in insects. We found it in copperhead snakes. We found it in bonnethead sharks. Um, there has been very rare occurrences in birds that were successful. This is not actually the first one that's happened in the California condor program, which I've been close to now for many years. This is the first successful one. Often there right. are genetic problems like with Dolly the sheep, who was the first uh, you know, artificial clone. Clone sheep, yeah. And died young, and you find that a lot. But this one actually worked... Two females kept together, ended up producing a, a clone of each other, and boom, very exciting. And I would point out, because it's Christmas, that even though we virtually never see this in mammals, technically, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, was a perfect example of mammal parthenogenesis. Boom, so, that's
1: right. Yeah. That is a good yeah. point. The one and only mammal parthenogenesis, the immaculate conception We we know of. We know of <laughs> You know, based on the nerdiness level of many of our Brosnurs, it may be the only way they're successfully going to reproduce. So take notes here, Brosnurs. <laughs> I, I have <laughs> always I have insulting, insulting you Brosners. the Brosnurs. It's
2: insulting funny. Insulting they insult the
1: us all the time. It's funny, and it's all meant in good, good faith. I, I think to point
0: out that there are Brosnurs and sisters... And if we can somehow bring the brosters and sisters together or brosters who like brosters and sisters who like sisters, I think there's potential. A lot of love in the room. <laughs> that exactly. that so was so such I'm, a brosters uh,
2: and sisters ten times faster. Yeah, that was brosners such a tongue twister.
0: Um, OK, the next thing was interesting, uh, an alarm to us all. And that was that COVID-19 was found in wild deer and oh, yeah. a number of other uh, captive animals, including big cats, gorillas, Tigers. It shouldn't be a surprise yeah. basically us, yeah. ferrets, minks, yep. uh, and this is the scary one, ferrets, ferrets and domestic dogs and cats. Yep. So let's hope that Ratep's dog is not listless on the floor because or. he's bored, uh, let's hope he doesn't have COVID. Um, Wait, Obviously, wait. The, produ- the producer has COVID, but the point is the transmission disease between animals and humans yeah. is 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 both common and rare at the same time. Let me explain. Yep. There are Sometimes <laughs> it's very easy. Like, for example, uh, Launceston was gifted from a sister city in Japan a, a bunch of snow monkeys. Have I told you this before? I don't, I don't believe remember. so. Amber. No, uh-uh. Okay. So... You get this sister city program, which is a bunch of bullshit, but occasionally there's a cultural exchange of note. In this case, we won massively because this sister city in Japan, which I don't even remember, even though I love Japan, gifted the city of Launceston in Northern Tasmania, an entire snow monkey exhibit in the park, like a really nice facility. Oh, cool, wow. And then, And then, just remember how the time I got chlamydial chlamydial conjunctivitis from koala urine in my eyes? you remember
1: that? I do know that story very well, yes. love that story. Which is also featured in
0: an episode of Adventure Beast, available worldwide on Netflix now. But we started getting reports of (laughs) monkeys, and particularly macaques, with herpes B. And very easy for people to catch it from a monkey, spittle, air, flatulence, anything with particles, you you can get it. Touch their shit, put put the finger in your mouth. The kind of stuff we do every day. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, they had to euthanize every captive macaque, not just in our facility wow. in Tasmania, but in wow. every facility in Australia because they had this disease. So in some cases, very easy to get the That's disease, terrible. but but in most cases, very hard. You can't get it. Some animal can be very, very sick and die, and you can't catch it, or the reverse is true. But in this instance, we're finding that COVID uh, has already appeared... In, in, you know, cervidae and ungulates, in deer, in mm-hmm. primates, in dogs, in yeah. cats. So I'd like to, I'd that, like to jump in and, and make
1: sorry, go ahead, BTU. Sorry. No, about and, that. And,
0: and, and, and also in mustelids. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. When was the last time you heard of a human disease that had a, a, affected such a broad spectrum of animals?
1: That's it. No, that's interesting. So there's a couple I, things yeah. I want to say on that. One is just my own personal thoughts. Um, every single time I see a dog out walking around in the streets, I bend down and let it lick me in the face every single time without question. It could be like somebody's Rottweiler that's trying to, trying to rip my throat out and I'll be like, come here, buddy. And, uh, I do it, I do it five times a day. So I'm glad I'm vaccinated, (laughs) but I just realized now that maybe that's not the best thing to be doing during COVID. And it's funny because I already knew that domestic house dogs could carry COVID, but it's the first time right now I've had that little light bulb moment. Going, wait, maybe I shouldn't let every city dog lick me in the mouth. Um, <laughs> so that's point number one. Point number two, and this is this is going to get a little heavy here for a second. Oh boy! The
0: we're going to the perineum. Do it.
1: No, I, and I'm not I, here. Mark my words on this. Tell mark- me if I'm wrong. The next great global pandemic will come from our relationships with dogs. And the fact that in some places we torture and eat them, specifically speaking Ooh. China and Indonesia. And I can explain baby birds because here's yeah, what happens. Me, baby. We have been co-evolving and coexisting with dogs for a very long time. Most of our diseases are not transmittable to them because uh, they run at a higher body temperature than we do. They have a higher core temperature and viruses oh. survive in a very specific temperature range. Now, all that being that said, interesting. it is All that being said, man's best friend in certain places in the world, and as food scarcity continues to rise, which it does, whether we like to admit it or not, people are torturing and eating dogs. Now, in Indonesia, that's seen like a Thanksgiving holiday where you eat a tortured dog. In China, there's a festival every year in Yulan, China, called the, the Dog Meat Festival. I strongly believe, having been to wet markets in Indonesia and seen how some of these animals are treated, I strongly believe the next global pandemic will come from our mistreatment of man's best friend, mixing with some of these festering conditions where there are bats and, and snakes and all these other things, basically the same way we originally thought COVID was, was concocted. But I believe the next major global pandemic will come out of, and I could even say the specific place, but it will come out of our, our relationship with dogs and mistreating them in, in a wet market. I
2: believe that very strongly. What is, so, what,
0: you're, what you're, you go ahead, Brett? What
2: What do you mean they torture them? Just their conditions they live well, in? Just no.
0: Yeah, they they're kept in tiny cages. They're not uh, sometimes fettered, uh, but, you know, tied but up, chained up, that, wide but, wide up uh, before they even get butchered. They're not killed. Uh, without paying, you know they're often butchered, and the, they're killed by butchering, not but not killed before butchering. Um, oh my god! In,
1: in uh, the in the extreme market, which is where, in my opinion, the next global pandemic will arise, which is in Tomahone, Indonesia. They every year there is a Thanksgiving-like tradition. I say Thanksgiving-like because it's like us eating turkey in the United States, where the meal that you are cho- you choose to consume. And it's a very small percentage. It's not like here where everyone has a turkey in the United States. It's something like six percent of, of the population of Indonesia does this. It's a very small number, but their ch- meal of choice is tortured dog. It's yeah, not dog at a mean? market. It means they take dogs and they torture them because it releases a certain you know indo- uh, it releases adrenaline in their system and it changes oh, it the flavor it, of, the of the meat.
0: Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, uh, that's horrible. I know. Horrific. I know that. I know, the is reverses, I know the reverse is to in Georgia, where I've gone barehanded hog hunting uh, before, which is a funny story in itself. But you, <laughs> you, 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 you capture these hogs alive, you, you take them home, and you, you, know, you tether them with rope in the boat, but then you because sure. it's all marshes, and then you take them home, yep. and they pen them, and then they feed them nice food for the next six months, twelve calm months, calm them
1: down, fatten them up, fatten yeah. them up,
0: calm them down, mm-hmm. and they actually castrate most of the boars because the testosterone makes the, the meat super gamey and gross, R- right? Um, so that's so it's the reverse, taking the taste out. That's uh, the, the torturing of something for extra flavor is is a next level of evil. I will meet there you. Is. Three quarters level, of the yeah. way there. I don't know that it's going to be specifically dogs, but I don't disagree with your thinking. Okay, I think I, I think what you're really saying is is a certain domestic animals that we've lived beside for so long and we're easy to handle are going to become the new bush meat because we've wiped out most of the bush meat. Right, and you know, we're running we're running out of turtles in in Asia. We're running out everywhere. Out penguins, We're running out of yeah. yeah. So so all that kind of stuff. I, I think that's highly possible, and I think I think the consumption of diseased meat. And and the and the cross pollination of pathogens is is certainly a very scary area. And if you think back to the previous scary diseases, to SARS and Ebola, mm-hmm. where did they came from? They came from, from animals. animals we didn't think we can get diseases from. And in right. some rare cases, Allah, the bats, the bat guano it, eaten by pigs, pigs eaten by people. Right. I mean, who, who could have imagined that? And that's exactly what happened, and it'll it'll happen again. So I think that's. I think it's, it's scary. i think I tell you what's going to hit first. It's going to hit Santa Barbara. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> because, because Santa Barbara, people who haven't been there, it's this beautiful luxe jewel by the sea ensconced in these stone mountains. And it's massively over-resourced. There's a bunch of billionaires that live there. And yep. it's on the main transport lines between L.A. and San Francisco. and 100%. so. It gets supplied with with quantities and quality of goods it doesn't deserve by virtue of population except for the wealth and the fact that there's no incremental cost by dropping off on the way to San Francisco. And it's a beautiful place. And it also is one of the most profoundly uh, uh, dog-friendly cities in America. And you can take a dog with you anywhere. Anywhere. Anywhere, if you're Anywhere. going in for anal bleaching, you can take your dog in there. <laughs> if you, you go into a restaurant, you go into uh, anything. You can bring your dog. Am I wrong? You no. even have a, and there's a dog parade. Every year, yep. where Every year when you walk down the streets yep. and everyone sniffs, everyone's butts, the dogs do the same. It's yeah. a big thing. <laughs> so, I think I think I think Santa Barbara, I think these jaded billionaires looking for something exotic are going to be the first to eat that tortured dog meat yep. and I and I and then they're going to turn on their own.
2: But anyway, let's get back <laughs> to that. Wait, wait, <laughs> <in> that, <laughs> wait. I got got one more. go retape w- go. One more quick question because I want <laughs> to prevent Forrest from leaving for a very long yeah. time because I know he's got to go.
1: But, no, uh, I want to go through the rest of the list. By the way, I know. But I know. But continue.
2: But so I, have uh, I've had this question now for like the past month because I read an article that said SARS one, they basically discovered the the animal that it was caused by within a month, very very quickly, a couple of months. They they were able to trace and track where it came from. Yet with SARS with COVID, it's been two years, nearly two years. And they still don't know where it came from. So I want to get your guys' opinion now. After all this time, it, it, <clears throat> you know, the theory that it came originally from, like, a pangolin that a bat shit on or whatever, is that is that still valid? Wouldn't they know that by now? Or is it, like, something completely different? Because... Everything I'm reading is like, oh, yeah, it still came from an animal. And then there's like the lab leak theory. But how do they still not know two years later with when SARS-1 they knew in just a couple months?
0: Oh, that, I, can I, I can answer the first yeah. part. Go ahead. Quickly. Go ahead. The first part was that it was because the, it wasn't a strictly controlled media blackout on people asking questions in sensitive areas. Um, are you familiar with the case of the Chinese tennis player Peng Shui? Yeah, the
2: recent one that yeah. the, the, she accused someone she, of she sexual She posted assault. about
0: sexual sexual assault, the vice <coughs> premier of China, and she's got millions of followers. She's one of the top doubles players in the world. And within days, all her social media accounts were scrubbed. Now there's all these fictional uh, buildups. I'm, I'm not saying the Chinese government is deliberately responsible for the release of COVID they developed as a weapon. I, I discount that. But the point was that there is high political tension between China and and the West right now. Uh, Some people believe the economy is growing too quickly, it's about to collapse, which means that there's going to be a certain degree of political desperation to retain power. And so you've got people with the resources to wipe out, for example, a celebrity's social media accounts to protect the identity and the reputation of one person. Yep. Imagine what what could happen if, if they wanted to protect the integrity of an entire scientific system that stumbled upon this, uh, whether it was through investigation into new materials, whether it was a, a examining an infection, we don't know. But how it could how you can prevent an investigation in that sort of conditions? Very easily, whereas in SARS-1 it was much more open. Everyone was trying to find a cure very quickly. Right. The same with Ebola. So mm-hmm. I think you've got a political factor in there, which I'm not a conspiracy person, I'm just saying... There are some places that really welcome, uh, you know, uh, people helping them out with their investigation and getting different opinions. And there are some places where they do not want it and they can stop it.
1: And they do. I mean, we yeah. see that in wildlife science all the time. By the way, because it becomes political, it's like what happened with the tortoise and a few other things. It, it yeah. becomes political, and people try and shut it down so that they can control the narrative. We, but
0: we had our, we had our visas canceled to China to, and I love I grew up in Hong Kong, love China, love Chinese wildlife, love Chinese zoologists, but we had to get three different permissions to go and film wildlife in certain parts of China. The first one was easy, like any other visa. The media passed. But we couldn't get the wildlife permit and the access to certain areas because of tensions between America and China at that time. Right. And remember, they were arguing about soybeans, and then retaliated with like Harley Davidson and whiskey and jeans. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, I'm just saying. So I'm not blaming anyone in particular. I'm just saying it's very easy to shut down an investigation if you don't want it. Yep.
1: Yeah, let's so go back to the let's go back to our device. top twelve. Yeah, all right, here yeah. we
0: go. Okay, the next one was uh, very interesting for conservation breeding programs. The a team successfully cloned a black-footed ferret. From an animal that had died a long time before, so using DNA, Jurassic, Jurassic Park style. Now yep. keep in mind, there's only there's there's, there's like four or five hundred black-footed ferrets on the planet, right. and they're all closely related to a single colony in Wyoming. Yep. Uh, after we thought they were extinct, and now, as a result of the frozen zoo, they've started to this 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 cloning program, and there is now a viable ferret, a female uh, called Elizabeth Ann. And so now, doesn't just because it works for a ferret doesn't mean it will work for other endangered species. It takes a long time to develop these protocols, but this is an exciting new tool in conservation breeding and bringing species either back from back from the brink of extinction, or for those Tasmanians who yearn to see a thylacine again, possibly yep. back from extinction.
1: Yep, totally. I, I love this one. I love anything. I've talked about this many times. I I fully believe that. Cloning animals that we have wiped out in the last 100 years is a great thing if we can do it right. And how so I'm excited by it. How do you think it?
2: we are from that? <clears throat> like, how long?
0: Well, it's happening now, but just the, the process of doing each individual speech. So, for example, in conservation breeding programs, like using IVF, because yep. you can't get animals together. So mm-hmm. I spent There was a, the, the top lab over in uh, Cezark is the group. And uh, again, over the, one of the main labs, Dr. Linda Penfold, uh, who's America's leading reproductive biologist, she uh, works out also of White Oak Conservation Center, which I mentioned earlier. And it's also home to Mikhail Baryshnikov's uh, White Oak Dance Project Studio, in case you're interested in ballet. Um, <laughs> the point is <laughs> that she was making the, the point to me that just because we have the protocols for some eggs and some sperm of some species, it doesn't correlate. The protocols and the mediums in which you store these materials are often very, very different. And so just because I can breed a particular one antelope doesn't mean another antelope, which lives in the same area, will actually work. It's just this It's incredibly difficult and tedious process. So uh, the answer is it is happening now. Mm, but interesting. it will be a long time before every threatened species will have this sort of help and in some cases it would be too late unless what we've learned from the black-footed ferret will be something that we can translate to other mammals but of course what about what about extinct birds and and herps and all the rest of it can we ever
2: bring dinosaurs back
0: like in jurassic park one day for sure maybe but we've never found unlike unlike what they said in in uh in uh, Jurassic Park, we've never found really effective DNA from right. all the stuff we've got. We get even in that movie. Hello, that's this is Hoover. your other son. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> um, they 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 find fragmented DNA. Now now Michael Crichton solved that in the novel by uh, pairing it with a frog, and then saying. And then of course the argument was that the frog DNA was what enabled the animal to have parthenogenesis and lay its own eggs. Now it's only like. Two different species of frog, uh, specifically the common reed frog, it's only happened in, it's an African frog, only happened once in captivity that's had parthenogenesis. And that frog had also bred before, we don't know how it all works. But frog parthenogenesis is actually really, really rare, but it worked in Jurassic Park. But contrary to what was in Jurassic Park, we've never really found effective DNA strands for this kind of, this kind of genetic work, um, for a genetic resurrection. Okay, the next thing was exciting was they found here, we, as you know, we're going through a global uh, a bee, uh, you know, just drought, bees dying everywhere. Yep. Um, the San Bernardino Valley, Valley, which is a small area uh, overlapping Arizona guys. and yeah. Mexico, not too far. Yeah. Um, they found this little wetlands there. And uh, I'm sorry, it's it's this very interesting area with these unusual plants and flowers, and they have found that it is basically um, the Atlantis of bees, just this unbelievable explosion of bee species. Get this, 497 species of bees living in just over six square miles. And they're endemic to that region, right? I I believe so, but uh, they might... I mean, I'm I'm sure they might also have spread out into other areas, but the point Mm -hmm. is that if we can protect this, this might be the planet's emergency reserve of bees. Bees, I love that. Because that's something that we're struggling to deal with is how do we replace bees? And I won't get into all the projects that are happening now, but I promise you in America and Europe specifically, and even internationally with Asia, including China, the, the, the whole bee crisis is a major investment mm-hmm. of people trying to help each other out to save the planet. So that's And, and great, by the way, and this is
1: important for people to know, just to spread a little doom and gloom for your holiday. Appreciate if we it. run out of Again. bees, we all die. I just want everybody to know that. Without bees, we are effed. And well, so, I, think, I,
0: I think all our major, just about all our major food plants are pollinated by bees. Now, a lot yeah. of good work is done by beetles and other things, but sure. we would have to, if we didn't die... We would have to get. We would have to adapt to a very different diet immediately,
1: and be very creative in how we. we,
0: yeah. we your mushrooms are going to just the value, the yeah. street value of your mushroom haul. <laughs> that's why. That's why. That's those. why I'm
1: dehydrating and stockpiling. I'm just waiting yeah. for that bee collapse. Because <laughs> most <laughs> mushrooms are not pollinated by bees; so they just sporulate.
0: <laughs> right. um, uh, this one, I didn't feel like this was. Uh, this isn't new news to to, to Wild Times listeners, but. Um, it's pointing out that some elephants uh, in Mozambique are evolving to lose oh, their tusks. this
1: one's such a crock
0: of shit. This yeah, one's okay. such a I'll, crock of shit. Let it go, Forrest. Let it out. Let it, it's, out. N- let it out.
1: Elephants aren't evolving to do anything. We have put so much selective pressure on them. They are evolving to do things. I shouldn't say that. But they are not evolving or devolving giant tusks. We have no. put so much selective pressure on them by hammering every single bull elephant with a 100-pounder tusks. That they're that those genetics are disappearing. It's the same thing as if you 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 decided to hunt every guy over six foot five. Well, guess what? In a couple of years, you're you're not having babies that are six foot five any longer. That are growing up to be six foot five. It's all guys that are five eleven. And you know that's that's just what happens. It's selective pressure, and, and that's we see what
0: we we see it here yeah. in Nevada with bighorn sheep. Right. And and now the alpha rams, the dominant rams, are not massive horns anymore because the genetics for those massive rams is largely
2: shut out by They're permitted gone. hunting. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's it's kinda sad. So that to me that who was kind of is, a who the fuck is hunting rams? Wouldn't that be super easy? They're not like evasive, are they?
1: <laughs> you're you're well, wrong on, like, many fronts there, Peter. Yeah, they're very just, yeah, hard I mean, to get close to, and they're a huge I, I, trophy animal. Yeah, and okay. I would just also right.
0: say that that kind of, it's just such intellectually constipated thought. It's like, you, like, you, like you're fitted by Andre the Giant trying to pass that ossified stool. Listen, no, Andre mean, <laughs> the Giant
2: could drink an entire 24-pack of beer on a plane and not have to pee. He passed out
0: on the floors of numerous hotels after drinking six packs of wine bottles. <laughs>
2: Do you think the whole hotel shook?
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, rest in peace, Andre. Um, but okay. yeah, no, they're very hard to get close to. If you get a chance, I think it's, the, it's what's the, the Big Horn Big, uh, Big Horn, uh, Conservation Project is out on the border of, of, um, so of, of like, Nevada. And, yeah. and it's I visited it. It's great. It's and even those animals, and they heli-lift they heli those guys in slings into conservation. It's incredible to watch. They don't get a lot of support. Go out there, visit it, uh, give them some money, uh, go and see the animals. I gotta tell you, they're incredibly hard to spot. Their fleece absorbs the reddish dust of -hmm. the mountains, and you've gotta have a good set of binoculars to spot them. I can see why hunters love hunting them, but I would just like to change the rules a bit, like we do with the grizzly with giant bears in Alaska, and say don't take an alpha breeding bear Take an old bear that's clearly out to out to pasture. I think you
1: just changed the rules that you can absolutely hunt bighorn sheep, but you have to do it on foot with a Bowie knife, and see how that shakes out.
0: <laughs> I love. You know what? Yeah. I, I I'm gonna go with that one Battle step further really and just say we yeah. fill a sack with random things, and whatever you pull out, whether it's yep. a crossbow or a knife or a stapler, that's yep. what you have. <laughs> that's it. And you, yep. And you got to make it work. There you go. Um, I boy, love that would that. be a mess.
1: Um, is so great. what else we got? Uh, this
0: is here's some good news to counter forest uh, doom and gloom is that <laughs> jaguars. So specifically Mexican jaguars are moving in back into the U.S. Yes, so that's I love this. V- very I hope exciting. they're not coming to L.A. Are they?
1: I hope they are, but they won't I, be. I do.
0: I do. I mean, just amazing. Very strong I, bite I, force. I for those who uh, Barosas <laughs> who follow me on. Uh, On Instagram or whatever, you'll see pictures of my face being rearranged by a Mexican Jaguar cub in a captive breeding program in Fort Worth (laughs) Zoo. Um, They're incredibly (laughs) gorgeous cats, incredibly powerful, and they become instantly the most powerful cat in the U.S., completely eclipsing the uh, the uh, the mountain lion. These are a big, big animal with a powerful bite. This is very exciting news, and potentially could can can drastically change the ecosystem. And um, and in, the, in the same way of wolves into uh, into oh, yeah. the Yellowstone.
1: And it's about yeah. time because we shot out the jaguars. They should be here. They're these sky <laughs> islands that range through. The Sierra Madres, I believe it is, uh, the mountain range that goes all the way down through Sonora and into the jungle. And these little sky islands act as these pockets for these jaguars. And they should be coming all the way up into southeastern Arizona. And instead, you know, we shot them out. And so the near the top jaguars are a couple isolated animals in northern Mexico. But it's about time they came back. And it's very exciting. Lovely. I'm stoked on well,
0: it. Well, two things on that. One, we are opening a bar called Sky Islands. <laughs> and, and two the next the next story is this is interesting. Uh, we talk about you know various invasive uh you know hoof stock, particularly horses and donkeys to be a menace, but mm-hmm. it turns out that uh, these animals during dry conditions use their hooves to dig up to six feet deep wells to get groundwater no and these oh, that's cool. and these artificial oases then become <laughs> Uh, important resources and resources for endemic wildlife. That's that's the cool. first I've heard. That that's is cool. Fucking nuts. Digging that's six really foot I didn't deep know that. holes. Yeah. Like, do you know how difficult yeah. that is? Uh, it's hugely difficult. And and you think about the animals. You know, you know your rhino and your elephant who can plow up the soil and do stuff. Uh, and then down to these African giant African bullfrogs and the males are these exquisite water engineers and they they dig these little channels to create little dams for the eggs they look after you hear about stuff like that but this oh, is this is news to me I'm, I'm excited that's cool. by that that's, that's, that's news that's, to me uh, that's a new one you know I'm a big fan of sea slugs on the show before we talked about these slugs that can inculcate uh, you know uh, cells in their bodies from plants yep. so they can have uh, um, you know, create sugars in their body and so forth through photosynthesis. These chloroplasts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they found another species you can rip its head off if you wanted to. It's something Rattep would do uh, <laughs> in a drunken binge. fodder. <laughs> there you go. Uh, these sea slugs can rip their heads off and then grow an entire new body. From that's the right. Neck they were
1: nudibranchs. I remember seeing this nudibranchs that were capable of reproducing their body from just the head. That is amazing. Very,
0: very and now, that's and that's news to me because I don't know. I mean, you see this similar thing of regeneration of organs and tissues in axolotls, uh, certain amphibians, and yeah, and salamanders. Yeah. Uh, and they can regenerate eyes, part of their brain, their lungs, obviously their limbs and tail. But I've never heard, I don't know of any species until now that you could just, all you need is a head, you can grow the body. That's very <laughs> oh, cool. It's amazing. It head. Really is amazing. There's a new yeah. record for whale migration, white migration. A gray whale, a gray whale has set a record, uh, traveling more than 16,700 miles, about 20,000 kilometers. Holy
2: shit. Yeah, and but come from, on,
1: that's not that's not that's not top news. Now you're now you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Nacho. Yeah, but this for, is for, not me. for this is the golden like wreck me, it's
2: pretty crazy. Sixteen thousand miles is crazy,
1: and it's fascinating. But the, the, the it's not that it's oh my god, what a discovery. It's that hey, we never really looked how far whales could migrate before. Now uh, now exactly. we're impressed. That's well, the difference.
0: I, I would go one step further than this. I would say that it, not only is it an observation anomaly rather than an actual fact that we, did, that we just changed everything the way we saw things. Like you said, oh, climate change and water temperatures have resulted in this animal traveling twice as far. That would be groundbreaking. No, totally. this is us. This is us just seeing something for the first time. And I put it to you that there are a number of groups of sea turtles uh, moving back and forth from Japan. Right. To, uh, that I would say that they would come very close to the 20,000 mile mark. For but sure. we haven't tracked them that far yet. So I don't know. I don't know. But it's interesting. It is. Um, it this is, is yeah. a very cool story. Uh, Indian jumping ants have been found to shrink their brain as they need to. And what happens is a little bit like with female naked mole rats, how they grow those Peter's extra vertebrae. Peter's favorite animal. <laughs> they grow the grow extra vertebrae and they get bigger and bigger and therefore capable of of of, of uh, giving birth to more and more babies. In this particular case, the winning female who becomes the queen, after winning this competition to become the new queen of the colony, she has to massively expand her ovaries and in order to have the energy to do that, she shrinks her brain up to 25%. Uh,
1: we talked about this on, on one did, of the pods. Yeah. We touched on it briefly. I think that, to me, that was a fascinating discovery. Imagine reallocating you know, physical energy from like your thought process to reproduction. So in other words, imagine if yeah. you knocked up your, your girl and she was just like, she couldn't speak for right. nine months because she got so dumb because be she was just like, I got to grow a baby oh. in my stomach. And she was just like in a vegetative state and you had to like sure. shovel food in her mouth. That's what these ants are doing, which is wild. It's just like, <laughs> oh, need to make babies. Go stupid. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it and is. Also, and
2: well, uh, the ahead. most fascinating thing for me about this is that uh, I, if I was ever to start a band, Ant Ovaries would be a great name for the band. Ant and Ant reasons. It
1: would, it would, be, would they be playing At Sky Islands On Saturday nights
0: Of course Everyone's playing At Sky Islands For sure um, <laughs> I was going to say That you see Aspects of this In nature before um, With um, sea squirts um, yep. and, and they Once they have found a place to anchor. So they start off life as a little zoia, and then they lock down. Once they no longer have to find a place to locate, they consume much of their brain to have the energy to flourish uh, because wow. they don't need it. But it doesn't make them uh-huh. stupider, uh, and they weren't geniuses to begin. It's just right. that they don't no longer need the aspect of their brain that pertains to relocation and movement because they'll never move again. That's it. Right. But the Dude, other comparison is, is, is the Desert Gazelle or Rim Gazelle in, in, the, in the Middle East. Because as you know, when times get really tough and it's super dry even by their standards, they stay alive by harvesting energy by degrading their own heart and their Hmm. heart gets smaller and smaller and they survive until the next rain and then they can eat again and then and then it restores itself over time. Now oh, I didn't know that. Sh-
1: That's fascinating.
0: Oh, it's one of the great stories of survival. And but of <laughs> course, it's <laughs> all nuts. about it's like it's like it's like the the, the northern wood frog freezing in the winter, right? Then right right, right, right. You can't ah. do it you can't just put one in the freezer and say good luck. And the same right. with the rim gazelle. You can't just uh, stop feeding it and giving it water and ho- it'll die. But if they right. do this gradually, if they sacrifice their own heart muscle, which is a huge muscle, gradually sure. um, they will get enough energy to survive. Anyway... That's, that's the top 12 animal discoveries according to uh, National Geographic. I think we would agree that most of those, we already knew that shit, um, but there wow. are a few in there that are very exciting. And, um, and certainly as a, as a conservation leader who's, who's committed to a number of wildlife conservation breeding programs for species on the brink of extinction, and certainly speaking for Forrest, a fellow Beardy of Note who tries to find animals that are already declared extinct and, and, and make us aware that we can bring them back. I, I vote that the uh, the cloning program with the black-footed ferret, first time from mustelid, is is probably the most
1: exciting news this year. I think that's my favorite one as well. I'm on board with you there. I love that one. Definitely Tem- not elephants losing tusks. That's nonsense. Tem- Here, what's your favorite
2: Tem- story of 2021? Animal story uh, news just, rather just the uh, the ant ovaries. It's related to the uh, naked mole rat, which I love, and then the fact <laughs> that the ant they battle. They they have this. Uh, interesting battle to become the queen and then all they do is shut the fuck up and decrease the size of their brains it sounds fantastic speaking as as relatively
0: new dads on behalf of myself the producer and the broologist i don't it's it's not it's all about mama brain you know new mother brain and they get all to a loopy no it's everybody yeah. it's parent brain you're so freaking tired uh, yeah all the time and uh i i sell so, you know if if i could blame that Uh, my enlarged ovaries and my reduced brain size. (laughs) Why
1: wouldn't you? I I would. I would.
0: I I remember once, I I was so tired, my phone went off by the bed. I reached over the bed to get my phone and fell asleep like half on the floor and half on the bed. And nice. my wife came in and thought I had a heart attack and
1: died. That's how I- <laughs> Welcome to the fog, ladies and gentlemen. That is what happens when you have kids. Any excuse, um, any excuse to uh, be
2: able to get away with uh, acting stupid or not having to put uh, effort into thought is a nice break from society. So It is. Look,
1: it has been a tremendous year for wildlife. It's been a tremendous year for this podcast. This has been a wonderful episode. We've had BTG, the professional himself, here. Listen, if you're sitting around these holidays, you get, you're get getting driven nuts by the family like I am. I'm at my <laughs> in laws right now. Um, <laughs> do yourself. No worry
2: hasn't smiled the entire time. No, not They're one. Watching I can't. This live, of course. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't smiled in a week. Um,
1: I, uh, <laughs> you get a dimple cramp when you finally do. You get a full-on cramp. Dimple. Um, I'm going to DM clip. Do yourselves them a, clip. a favor. Hey, you're stepping on my thing. Do yourselves a favor, okay? Go and watch Adventure Beast on Netflix. I've watched the whole thing. It's such a treat. BTG is the voice. He's the star. Well, the animal's the star, but he's the co-star. It is such a treat. It's a fun thing to watch with your family over the holidays. You will laugh if you don't. You get a full refund on this free podcast. That's a guarantee. Um, Yeah, and that's all I got to say. I'm glad BTG was here. Merry Christmas, everybody. I am so stoked on the new year and the new things to come.
2: And about Uh, leaving your in-laws hopefully soon. BTG, thank you. So much for joining us. Uh, at least you smiled and made me smile. Unfortunately, <laughs> Forrest's mouth looked like a puckered asshole the whole time. But uh, it is. It's like it's like
0: it's like a it's like a sphincter with dentures in it. It's
2: terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I Someone think his should make his teeth a movie. Real. I think his
0: teeth are fake. Uh,
2: they're, they're, um, they're not real. I think I,
0: I think he got his teeth and his hair as a set. They're magnificent.
2: <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, too. the Dollar General. Um, so, <laughs> If you, wanna, if you want to follow uh, BTG on Instagram, that's at Tasmanian underscore grizzly, right? That's, that's me, at that's Tasmanian it. underscore grizzly on Instagram. Come on over.
0: Uh, it's always weird and wonderful stuff. Uh, I'm old, and therefore I go into too much detail about extraneous subject that interests no one but you. Brosness and sisters. It works. So it's beautiful. I enjoy yeah. it. It's just, just like want podcast thank you. in visual format. Exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. it, it really is a visual form of the podcast. I just want to say thanks again for having me on. I always love catching up with you guys. Uh, I wanted to come on one more time before the end of the year and just uh, share my best wishes with everybody. Uh, the COVID Omicron thing is real. We've all lost friends now. And I just want to say to you, one of this, the keys to success as a military operator and certainly as a uh, as a creative professional, is to understand the parameters of your mission. Understand what it is you have to work within. And I would say to you, the current environment is such that the COVID is a binding parameter. Now, one of us now has COVID, and I hope Pat's well and his wife and his child. It's a scary thing. Just accept the parameters of your mission, which is to avoid COVID, and then go fucking nuts within that so, parameter. So I, I love I tell that. You, you, you know what you have to do to stay safe from COVID. Get your shot, get your booster, wear your mask, social distance, if, and, and then know the parameters and then go fucking nuts.
1: Love that. Nice. Love that. The Wild Merry Times. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry this Christmas. is the Wild Times podcast. Do the thing, Ritab.
2: Merry Christmas because now you've both said it. Live within your parameters of COVID. Hopefully, this is all over soon. Uh, But if it's not, go to wildtimespodcast.com forward slash info to find all the links to the podcast. We have like 80 episodes. The Patreon has another 20 plus a bunch of extra content. Go there, too. That's the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash wildtimespod. All the socials are at wildtimespod. And do not forget to go to Instagram and follow Patreon. BTG, His Instagram's amazing. He's really been putting out some good shit. That is at Tasmanian underscore grizzly on Instagram. Love you guys. Good That's a right. like golden chanterelle shit. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Peter, where are you going?
0: <laughs> you just... You just... <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> digging down for the pe- some paranoia action. Oh, yeah. Uh oh. That's it, everybody. Forest is getting dragged. Oh, uh, I'm good.
1: Having, I'm good. That was pretty funny. I don't know if you saw. She crawled behind to try and stay out of the camera, and you could just totally see her crawling <laughs> uh, by. Everybody's uh, gonna see it online. It's uh, hilarious. I just
0: I just assume that all of us have women crawling around behind us on the ground. That's just <laughs> yes, how we Yes, they miss. must be
1: at all times. Uh, <laughs> Peter, you're still recording. Stop this yeah. recording. I have to go. I'm already I'm already late, so I'm getting I'm in trouble. Yeah, you got cool to say one thing. Thing. Yep. Good night, everybody. What? Good night. Oh my God, it's still recording. Oh my God. Ha,
2: ha,